All right, what's up? It is the second episode of the Rosillo podcast, and I just want to start by thanking every one of you for doing what you did last week. I thought it would go well, and it absolutely kicked all sorts of you know what. I was, um, I don't know. It's just weird. It's weird to sit there and go, yeah, guess what? Like this is going to be really successful and I don't want to just sit here and, and cause I'm not, I don't want to turn this into like praise, but we were number one in sports, which I thought we'd do well in sports. And there's some stuff with the new momentum and that kind of thing. But then to be number three overall, only behind, um, this other podcast. And then obviously I would have to be behind another podcast technically to say I'm number three, but number three overall was New York times and the Atlanta mystery there. And we were number three for like a couple days, number three in all categories. So every one of you guys and girls out there that uh, made it possible, I can't thank you guys enough. So, and then rate and review the whole deal. Saruti, you gave out a ton of, you gave out some of the nice gear too, the Usain Bolt box out shirt. Yeah, I know we, we have, we have a lot of the, uh, the Kenneth Garai quote, Usain Bolt box out picture. We have a lot of left those? over. So honestly, I might send me them. a screenshot of you and a rate and review on iTunes, wherever, and I'll get you some swag. Okay, the other thing is I have not checked my work email in one month. Monday marked one month since my last show, which is pretty crazy that it's already been a month. How many emails? I don't uh it's just it's just going up and up and up. Um but I just feel really bad because uh I don't know. Like what's going on here? Um that's just a corporate thing. This is Oh, I like this guy, Aaron. He's a production assistant. He said that I know I'm a little late. Yeah, you are, dude. Been gone for three weeks. Um, but yeah, I still have access to work email. So anybody that likes me that works here, if I haven't gotten back to your email, it's not because I'm too cool for you. It's because I just don't have access to this unless I'm at work. And I couldn't even log into it last time. Okay, so I don't know if we should do what have you been up to to start or end them. Probably to end him. Um, but I will do a little basketball, some trade deadline stuff, and then we have about 40 minutes with Charles Barkley. So we already taped it. It's insane. It's going to be like people are going to make a big deal out of it because it was that good. And I, I didn't really talk because I didn't want to because he was just so freaking good. So I want to do Kawhi. I want to talk about players complaining. But I will start. I guess I'll just do it this way. I, let's do a vote on it, too. Like, put it in the comment thing or when we tweet out the link of it. Ask if you want. Should I go third person and say Rosillo updates on what's going on? I'm still living in Connecticut. I currently am a member at three gyms. Uh, I have my two small ones in Connecticut, but I did join the Manhattan Beach, South Bay, Equinox. I worked out there this weekend. Shout out to Joel for hooking that up. Uh, so I was in LA for a few days and I'm house shopping and we don't know, you know, the, we can get into the finances of it all. We could sit there and talk about a 15 or an arm or a 30 year fixed. And I think there'll be people, people, um, probably debating, you know, the rates are going to go up, get one of those 30 year fixed or, Hey, it's a lifestyle thing. Get the five year arm. I'm probably not going to get the five year arm. There's probably people listening right now on the podcast going, wait a minute. Is the second podcast going to suck? Um, I also had an incident last night when I flew back where we were delayed in Detroit and I love Delta. Love it. Love it. Love it. I, people that complain about Delta, I assume they don't fly other airlines cause Delta is the best, but we had a little issue. We were delayed in Detroit and you know, back to the radio show, I had suggested that all pilots are liars cause you are. 
and you just there's some sort of thing and this is all our own fault like when i think about the way politicians talk to us that's our fault as a country we need to be talked to that way because if the politicians were honest with us they would never win anything so they have to talk to us that way so they are a product of the way we want our stuff processed i wish the world did not work that way but it's the same thing with pilots the pilots can't say hey we're jammed up for an hour because then the whole like everybody just loses it so they lie they let they they put the pain on layaway they put the mental pain on layaway and i feel like corporate structures are that way too so we get to detroit ready to fly out i'm going to be back in connecticut by 11 probably back to the center west hartford get something to eat maybe by midnight because it's not a late night town kids know that and i'm starving i had one of those protein cookies which we know is not good for you but it just was available and we get on the plane and we're sitting there and we go hey we're as your captain speaking, uh, we're just bump back up here a little bit. Number two for takeoff. We should be able to still get you within our scheduled arrival time. Just a quick de-icing in front of us, and then uh, we're next in line. You're like a quick de-icing in front of us? Hmm. And sometimes de-icing can be quick. This was not. I watched the plane in front of us get de-iced for 30 minutes, and then the pilot checks in and goes, okay, all right, we're number one here. Quick de-icing, couple minutes, and we'll be good to go. It wasn't quick. I just watched the other flight take 30 minutes, get de-iced. I just saw it happen in front of me. I watched it out of the window. It took a long time. Okay. And I'm not saying I wanted to not be de-iced. I'm not saying that safety isn't an issue. I'm just saying, Hey, Hey, there's your captain. You just saw that in front of us, right? It took about 30 minutes. So we're probably about 30 minutes away from taking off. That would have been accurate. That would have been something I could have handled. So instead I'm like a couple minutes, like who's this guy? And I was already timing it, which is a loser move, but I'm reading this Nazi book. That's just not that good. It's boring, but I feel like I'm three quarters of the way through it. So I'm trying to figure it out. And no, I'm not a Nazi. I'm just reading this book about an American ambassador. It's an Eric Larson thing. Historical. It's not historical fiction. It's real. Um, important clarification. Yeah, right. Not a Nazi. Just, although there is a swastika on the book cover and I got to admit, I flip it over a lot. When I was at the beach reading it. I go, I'm going to put this one swastika side down because, you know. Don't want to frighten people. Yeah, jacked. You don't have, you are Sha- somewhat bald. Shaved head. <laughs> bald, I meant. So anyway, so we sit there good. It ends up being an hour and 20 minutes. Um, Get to the quiet stuff, get to the quiet stuff. And I'm like, I'm going to say something. So the pilot's like, hey, how's it going? You know, and I go, you know what? And I even like stalled a little. So I had a lot of gap solo time. Like I really thought it out. And I went, hey, man, you know, I was like, why do you have to lie about it? Why do you have to lie? I was like, we just saw the plane in front of us. It was 30 minutes. I go, you said it would be a couple minutes. He goes, uh, we're doing the best we can. I go, no, no, I, I get it. I'm, I go, I already know who I'm coming off. But you said, and it took, it. the whole thing took like a 120. It was a 120 delay. We got back to Hartford at 1240. It was brutal. Whatever. None of that matters. And I'm not complaining about that part of it. But it was just a simple back to my theory of it. it's the end of the world, apparently, if a pilot goes, hey, it's probably going to be about an hour. We got two planes to de-ice, 30 minutes of pop. It's freezing out. We're in Detroit. And he looked at it. He goes, hey, we uh, we updated you every 15 minutes, sir. And I'm like, you didn't. And I want to be like, because I timed you. Because I'm becoming Costanza, apparently. Um, but I just know you didn't. And then I felt even more justified because I'm like, you lied. You, you lied again. And then Mr. America behind me was like, we had a great flight, sir. Thank you so much. And I was like, I know what you're doing. I know what you're doing. And I just, all right, so moving on. 
I don't know about this trade deadline because a lot of it is garbage that's available. The Kemba Walker stuff is fun to read about. I like Kemba Walker, but it's pretty clear that what the Hornets are trying to do is we have a pretty good player in Kemba. Um, yes, all star, but you know what I mean. Like we never, we never sit there going, "Hey, is Kemba sneaky top ten? Like we can't get to Kemba until we get to Lillard when we start talking about the guys that are somewhat overlooked." But Kemba's cheaper for a productive player who is a guy who will make all-star teams. I, I don't put him in that group of like perennial all-stars, and it's pretty clear that they were trying to kick the tires on this thing and see, hey, what's out there? And what they're thinking is we could trade Kemba for maybe an even better player. No, you probably can't. Um, you know, Cleveland is in on everybody. And looking over my top secret stuff here, you know, the DeAndre Jordan thing, would they like to do it? Yes. Would they trade that Brooklyn pick? Absolutely not. That would be as surprising to me as anything. I also get some pushback from sources uh my podcast last week when I said, you know, look, LeBron doesn't want to trade that pick. And then it becomes kind of this debate of, well, yes, he would want to trade it if it was something good. And then it sounds like the most simplistic breakdown ever that I always hate is like, well, he doesn't want to make a bad trade on this whole thing. And then you had Stephen A. saying that Gilbert wants to trade, the, excuse me, sell the team. Trading would be interesting. In which, which he did not say. Oh, he didn't say that. Yeah, we Yeah, they came running in. He did not specifically say that. Oh my god! You know how I found out about it is a team called me, and then said, "Hey, this whole Gilbert." And I was like, "What?" And he's like, "You didn't know." And then I felt like an idiot. I was a huge controversy today. Oh, he, he didn't specifically I love say that. But there was a there was a report that he did say that on his show. He did not. Okay, so he didn't say it on first take. I just read the recaps. But then we couldn't find it on .com, so there you go. That would actually make sense. So, all right, we can rule all that stuff out. But they want to be on everyone. George Hill, uh, I've heard Denver connected to George Hill as well. I've heard Cleveland. I've heard Milwaukee connected to DeAndre Jordan. Um, apparently Dallas wants him again, but maybe more as a free agent. Maybe Dallas loads up in free agency with their whole deal. I've heard that everybody on Utah is available except for Gobert and obviously Spider-Man, Donovan Mitchell, Joe Johnson likely to be bought out at some point. Uh, Atlanta wants to get rid of everyone. Um, I don't know that Schroeder is somebody that they're actively looking to get rid of, but they want to hit the reset button. Charlotte would move Dwight as well. Um, and apparently the Dwight reviews internally, shocking I know, are not great, despite that Charlotte apparently is trying to say that this is the best that Dwight has ever been. I would love to see Dwight on the Cavs. Oh my God, that's like a pipe dream. I, that's why I want the Cavs to get Boogie. I want the Cavs to get Boogie, because that LeBron tweet about Boogie, and granted, Boogie went, hammer don't hurt him on him. And I thought he was great. Um, 44, was it 40, 24, and 10? The double overtime win, and they were down 17 of the Bulls. And I even tweeted out that deal because I was out in L.A. watching the late night sports center and watching all this stuff. So I didn't get a full game. So I must have missed because I even complimented Cousins. And I go, you know what I liked about that game is Cousins had a smile on his face. Like Cousins walks around on the court as if he has the weight of the world on his shoulders. The entire world. Like he should have shirts that says me versus everybody. And that one would be accurate. Because some of these other us versus everybody shirts, like it's, it's over. It's over. Sorry. You can't. You can't have a Cape Cod versus everybody t-shirt because you just, you're just not, no offense to Cape Cod, but you, you get the point. Um, and I complimented Cousins, but then so did LeBron James. So that must mean I'm just like LeBron James. I'm not, in case you needed that clarification, but that's about the fact that LeBron wants to play with him. Um, and I'm telling you, I don't, I just don't think, I think that front office, I think that whole deal in New Orleans, like they're going to want to make the playoffs this year. They're going to want to be able to point to that, keep their jobs. So 
I, I think that's all really wishful thinking. Uh, the Lillard thing, I had heard that it was a meeting, just like the rest of you guys did, but that it doesn't mean that Lillard is going anywhere. Although that anecdote about him being upset about the Will Barton trade in February of 2015 is the best thing ever. Like, I hope that's true. Uh, still digging a little bit. Denver would move Moutier. You can have him for Reed. Um, they've got some payroll issues coming up here. Detroit's still kind of eh. Washington. I, I got to tell you, watching them lose to bad teams is so normal now. They're, they are. I was so right about that last year in the playoffs. Like they are so soft. Like they don't know. They think they know what tough is and they don't. I love the Berea. Nobody on your team likes you to John Wall. I don't know if I don't know if I want to say this stat because I saw it on Twitter, so I'm not sure that it was true. So I got to track this. I got to go figure this out, and it is a tracking stat. But there's some ridiculous number that like John Wall off the basketball in an offense is one of the least active basketball players in the league. Like a guy that plays a lot of minutes, and then he just doesn't move off of the ball. And when we were doing our top ten, and I always you know I'll talk about this with Barkley a little bit later on, where you do okay, these are my top ten players in the NBA and all that stuff. And I would always try to like maybe sneak Wall into that group because it was always one through eight was pretty clear. And that's why it shouldn't be top 10. It should be who are the tier. You could really say it's a tier one of LeBron and then it's a tier two of Steph Durant, Harden, Anthony Davis. I guess you got to put Westbrook in there. And then it's Giannis and that kind of stuff. Um, I'm hoping I'm, I hate when I just do this off the top of my head. Oh, Kawhi, because I'm forgetting this year because of the injury. Uh, and Kawhi, I would put in whatever the group is behind LeBron before I put him in the next kind of group. But, you know, Wall was somebody who kept trying to put in there, and I'm like, man, like I'll watch them lose games and go, okay, wait a minute, let me double check, back to back. Nope, two days of rest. <laughs> and then you go, oh, wait a minute, who's out? Why are they down 20 to Orlando? Oh, everybody's playing, and they're healthy and rested again. Like, they got smashed by Charlotte the other night. That was right before I left. Uh, speaking of resets, your Orlando Magic. Um, I've heard everybody, even your boy Aaron Gordon, is like Fournier, Vucevic are the bigger names. Um, yeah, Isaac's the only guy I don't think Simmons. Yeah, the unless Gordon, you get something ridiculous, the Gordon thing would be you just you know one Gordon becomes that thing where you just go, I wish he could play on the Warriors. I wish he could play on the Warriors, but he's not going to play on the Warriors. Also, the Warriors interested in all the Knicks centers. Uh, I've been told that that is a hundred percent not true. Um, so you know we'll we'll see what that means. Although I did like Hernan Gomez last year when he played, but that they wanted Kyle Quinn. They don't they don't play their centers now. So who are they trading? Like they like they like Swaggy P and stuff. So you know, and again, there's there's tons of stuff that I don't know. So about the Kawhi thing, which is really weird because I had heard last week that the Kawhi thing was was kind of off, and I went, wait a minute, what? Like Kawhi, Tim Duncan two, the sequel, the Spurs way. I'm just making up stuff at this point, but um, the little fundamental, the little fundamental I like. Quiet Leonard, not as funny. Um, I had heard that he was mad about the leg thing, and Barkley's going to touch on this thing. And then obviously Woj and Zach Lowe, and was it Haynes that had something like all? Oh, it was this this Lollapalooza of NBA writers that had the whole skinny on Kawhi not being super happy. And the thing is, is the article itself, I don't think there's really that smoking gun in there. So if you're a Spurs fan, you know what you're doing. You're doing the oh, this is stupid. If those guys did that, that means there's more that they know that they're not saying, that they couldn't report. And they didn't report it because they didn't get it backed up by somebody else and because you're also dealing with the Spurs, and the Spurs immediately shot this down. 
So I know the Spurs fan, and I'm sure there's probably local radio because it's just how this always works, is national guy who's really, really good. I'm not saying the national guys always have it right over the local guys because I know that there's local guys that are more plugged into national guys. But when it's that kind of story, that can become this thing where, and I don't, I didn't read it too much of the local press down there. And if they, they shot the whole thing down, I know the team did. But it used to happen when I worked in Boston all the time is national guy would get something right, but it'd be negative about the Pats or the Celtics or the Red Sox. And then all the local guys would say, like, what an idiot. And the national guy was. And you just be like, yeah, but sometimes it's just different. Like, sometimes the national guy can do the story that you can't do because you got to be there every single day and maybe for 10 years. So here's what I've heard about the Kawhi thing, that he's he's showing up for all the stuff that he has to do, but he's not into it at all. I'd heard one thing that was so crazy that he was playing two on two with guys that don't even play anymore. And that's what he was counting in his, as his rehab. Uh, I, again, I'm not reporting this. I'm just telling you some of the stuff I've heard. I've heard that his uncle is kind of calling the shots now and that they want more. And they just, th- this cold, quiet, you know, Spurs way thing isn't working out for him. So me hearing some of this stuff and I had reached out some people on Friday. Nobody wanted to talk to me about it. And then I had nowhere. Woj drops that piece on Monday. I was like, man, this is crazy. And I think that's. What is the craziest thing is that Kawhi was always the guy that we embraced because he wasn't the dude that cared about Instagram posts. We didn't care about commercials. He didn't care about all these things. I think Van Pelt said it really great on his show where he said something like everybody else is about shoes and soda and Kawhi wasn't that dude. And now we're starting to think like, could he possibly be that dude? And he can opt out of his contract after that was a hard pronunciation of that word after next season. All right. So he's still in a contract this year, next year, and then after whatever the Spurs can have a way, there can be a Spurs way, but you still figure it out and try to make sure you can keep one of the five best players in his prime on the team. Okay, even though this injury thing is weird, and sometimes when you're hurt and you're upset about it, you freak out. Derrick Rose has done it about 30 times. Uh, Kawhi maybe now just once, and it's weird. I don't know that it's beyond repair. I've also asked teams that I've said, hey, was he available at any point? I'm not saying that he wasn't available. It's just that from what I've heard... they were like, look, we we had never heard at any point, hey, why don't you just, you know, for giggles, put together your best offer for Kawhi Leonard. And I don't talk to all 30, te- uh, all 30 teams, so I've, I've said that plenty of times. So there's always stuff. I'm really honest with you guys about this. Like, I can tell you yes or no stuff, but something like that, I would never say, hey, nobody I talked to said he was available, so he was never available. I guess I was just surprised to read that part of it. Okay. I want to talk about the refs, and I want to talk about all these guys getting really upset because I think it all ties in. I think the league right now is just absolute drama stress. This is your wife before the wedding. This is where's everybody sitting. Um, you guys that are married right now, and maybe some of you guys have evil husbands, you know, evil grooms. You should put it that way. Evil husbands sounds creepy, divorce, that kind of thing. So bridezilla, there's male versions of that. Just want to make sure everybody's on the same page here. But some of you know who I'm talking about. Just the planning and the incessant questions. And like, I think I'm not married because I'm already not looking forward to that part. Those few weeks of just the, like, I know, okay, this is your day. You're freaked out. I think the NBA has a little of that in them because of the Warriors and because of all the negativity that people are aware of now. Not that people weren't criticized before, but I think guys are more sensitive because they are getting trashed around the clock. They see everything. I see it. For, for stuff I do, and I'm not even really doing anything that important except for the number one podcast in the country. Um, at least last week. Anyway, when I look at a Durant, like Durant was a very revealing person and showing us something that I think was great in that, yeah, I had a shadow account and it's a loser move and it is, and he should be made fun of for it. But 
I can kind of get his point about the whole thing. And so if you combine that with all of these players figuring out, like, wait a minute, am I going to go seven, eight years of my prime and never get a sniff of this because of what LeBron has done in the Eastern Conference and because the Warriors, are what they're doing in the West, and I'm being not more criticized than previous players, but access to that criticism. I'm telling you, the mental strain that that has on a public figure over and over and over again, and it's all fan and bias-based. Like, if if I were younger and had a few beers and Durant beat my team, I may send him a tweet that says, you suck. Now, being in the public spotlight, like, I would never do it now because I understand what it's like to be on that other side, but I understand why fans do that stuff because it feels kind of harmless. But these dudes are reading this stuff, and they're seeing it all the time. So they're in this heightened stress level because of what competition is now and what they are what they're reading all the time. Like, I honestly believe in all this stuff. Now you're asking me, like, wait a minute, why is Durant, why is he stressed? Why are the Warriors complaining all the time? Why are they... Acting like punks. Well, Draymond was always going to be this way. And I talked to him about it. I said, why do you do this? He goes, dude, I wasn't supposed to be this good anyway. Now I just signed a max deal. I'll be fine with the fines. I was like, all right. Durant has had it. He's tired of hearing about what a sucker he is for going to the Warriors. So he's acting out. But the other thing that becomes the bigger issue for this game, for this NBA game, is the relationship between the ref. And now they want to get together. Van Gundy did like a whole quarter on the whole deal. And here's the problem. And part of it's the officials, but I'm going to start there, and ultimately I think I'm going to side with the officials. And I know that's surprising, because nobody ever, I haven't heard anybody sticking up for the officials at all. Everybody's just mad at them. Like somebody the other day tweeted out this thing about officials and their egos and all this stuff, and you go, okay, all right. So here's here's where this whole thing started. If you've listened to me for a long time, you know that I hate the evolution of the charge. What the charge has become, I do not believe, is what the charge was intended to be. The charge should not be run to a landing spot, get underneath somebody, and then fall down and then get the call. That, to me, is not defense. That is bailing out a defensive player. When somebody is side-to-side in a sprint, in transition, and the guy with the ball is just a little bit behind the man that's defending him, and the man that's defending him runs to a spot right in front of the guy dribbling in a fast break and then falls down, that's not a charge. That's not what a charge should be. But the refs started rewarding these acts. So this game... If you've watched it as much as I have, you go, okay, so all these things that weren't charges 10, 15 years ago are charges today. So then it becomes an accepted thing. So now what we're talking about is we're not talking about playing defense. And some of these charges are great. Some of them are great athletic players getting into position and getting knocked over, closing a guy off in a drive left or right, guessing the right way and being in there. Or getting outside of the restricted area, putting his feet down, hands down, not leaning one way or the other, staying still. You had to be stationary and that's how you got a charge. So it was really hard to do it. And so... Now that players are beginning this call of time, they're freaking out when they don't get it. Okay. Marcus Smart is always one of my pet peeve players because he is so tough defensively. I will never take that away from him. He can switch on a big guy like a small guy. He is the best in the league at doing that. When he gets switched on a big guy, the big guy does not have the advantage. It is incredible and it's so awesome to watch. I hate when he shoots. Okay. But I also notice, and I do this because, yeah, I watch a lot of Celtics games. He'll be weak side on offense, positioned behind the three-point line, stuck in the corner. And he will run full sprint, and I'll be watching the ball side. I'll watch his shot. I'll watch how you know it's going to be rebounded. And then I'll go, how did Marcus Smart end up in the stanchion? Like, why is Marcus Smart with the dancers now? How did this happen? And I'll rewind it, and I'll watch, and I'll see that Marcus Smart full sprint 
runs into a defensive player that's also boxing out and then projectiles himself off of the player hoping to get a call on a foul because what the ref will be seeing is he'll be looking at the shot. You know, the other ref will be looking maybe for a box out. Maybe another guy's just kind of looking for the out of bounds. He's on the baseline and then he sees this body just thrown away and he's thinking, well, man, somebody must have marked, knocked, uh, Mark, uh, knocked Marcus Smart on his butt. So I have to call a foul here. And People are catching on a little bit. If I were a ref, I would go, hey, guys, remember Marcus around the basket underneath, throws himself to the ground all the time. He flops like a crazy person. Great defensive player, but just be aware. I would be on the lookout to not reward that player. So Marcus is tricking the refs into this move. And so when he gets the call, the other guy's mad because it wasn't the right foul. And then when Marcus doesn't get that call in the second half, He's mad because, not because he's right, he knows he's flopping, but he's only thinking, hey, I got that call in the first half. What's the deal, ref? So again, tricking the ref, the rip-through years ago with Durant and Kobe. Okay, younger player, perimeter defender, gets his hands out there a little bit. you got to try to find a way to get a hand up and contest these shots. So this whole hands-down-by-your-side crap that you learn in junior, like it's just... You're not going to contest against these guys, so you can't reach, but you got to keep your hands up. But if you just happen to have them perpendicular to your body, and then Kobe rips through and Durant rips through, and then they don't even get a real shot off, you're rewarding that player. So the player's going, and I know they've tried to crack down on the rip-throughs here, but the player's going, I don't care if this is a real basketball move or not. I know my intent was to trick the defensive player, but you've given me this call before. So the guy's mad at you who gets the foul called on him, and then the offensive player's mad now because even though he knows he's tricking you, he tricked you before, and he wants to be rewarded for it every time. Just like when you're shooting from three, and the defensive player comes out, closes, gets in the air, is going to run and avoid you now, and then you jump sideways into him and then take a shot, and then that becomes rewarded. And now the worst one of them all, and it's not Harden, but Harden, every time he doesn't get a call, he goes, wait a minute, I've gotten all these calls before. I know I'm initiating contact. I know that I stick the ball up and make you touch it and then reach, and then I have contact at the arms. I know I do all those things, but you've given me that call before. So now, official, I'm not going to take, I'm not going to take some like accountability of myself here. I'm not going to say, Hey, James, you know, you've gotten a lot of these calls throughout your career and a lot of them are BS. And it's kind of lame when you get to dribble up the back of a defensive player running away from me and then also get an and one on an open layup. And all I did was step on a guy on purpose. I'll go, I'm James Harden. I get that call because I've gotten it before. And then the fall down three, the fall down three, which is easily the worst epidemic of them all, where if we're going to let guys get three free throws because they go up and take a three and there's no contact at the top, and the contact is only when I stick my leg out and fall down. Like when Westbrook does that and doesn't get the call, he loses his mind. And I Steph got it the other night. And and no one should ever get it. No one should ever get it. And that's the dilemma we have is we have more plays in this game today of players that have been used to being rewarded for tricking the official. And when the official doesn't reward the player for the BS move every single time, the player's then mad at the official. And it's kind of the official's fault for not trying to find a way to stop it. I know it's super fast. I'm not a massive anti-official guy. I think it's incredibly unfair. I think it's a loser's mentality to constantly blame the officials. I think these officials are really, really good. But there are evolving things that happen in this game that they need to figure out. And by rewarding that, 
They've also kind of enabled the player to think that he's supposed to get all these things, and that's why the players are so mad about every call, and they want to talk about every freaking call, and then the worst player on a team thinks he's supposed to get two minutes with with any lead official out there. Like, hey, no, no, I need to talk to you about that. And we're like, dude, we're two possessions beyond that. We're ready to move on. And so I don't blame the officials for finally saying, hey, you guys need to... We could change up some things, but we don't need to talk to you for the whole game. We don't need to talk to you the whole game. We don't need to talk to your 10th guy a year out of VCU. I'm sorry. Like, I don't know your name. Turn around again. Like, I don't need to talk to you the whole game. And this is at the core. That's that's why we have the problem we have right now. Saruti. Because I feel like there's a couple times you're ready to go, but this is the problem. No, I mean, now. it happened the other night. It was against the Rockets. Steph Saturday game. Steph kicks his leg out. Ryan Anderson gets called for the foul, and it's totally unfair on Ryan Anderson, who's already in a position of weakness anyway. Right, right. He's, he's so, and Steph. like he gets, ba- you're gonna bail Steph out on a three? Like, come on, that's just that's not good for the fan. I'm glad that they've taken away that James Harden thing, but again, I'm I I agree with you. If I'm James Harden, I'm like, what the heck? This is what I built my career on. And obviously, I'm tongue in cheek. He's he's no, no, he's a great, great shooter. He, by the way, his handle is like you know, talk about Kyrie's improved handle. James, James might be right there with with Steph and Kyrie. Can I run something by you? Yeah, please do. Tell me how insane I am. After Saturday night's Rockets Warriors game, where the Rockets took the season series, I am slightly open to that being a very competitive. If not, the Rockets can win that series. Uh, I don't think the Rockets can win the series. I don't think you're insane for thinking that. Because um, the Warriors, both you remember teams, the first games wanted right? to win, and do right. you remember the first game though when the Warriors? Yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, and it was kind of like, oh yeah. Uh, and then when they got in the second time, Houston didn't have Harden. Yep. And then this time they didn't have Ariza and Iguodala. Yeah, was out. Um, I think I don't. I don't think it's crazy. Okay, but I, I still think when I go, okay, who's at their best? Nobody's beating Golden State. I don't, I don't think that's some crazy statement to make here. I also think that, just like Bob Myers told us this, right, when I said, I feel like you don't really have that edge, it doesn't mean I don't think you're going to win. And his analogy was perfect. And you can go back, I don't know if we still have that stuff out there, but it was the last week of the show, and Myers said, if you and I climb Mount Everest the first time, we'd be like, oh, my God, can't wait to do this, climb it, cry, tears in the eyes, peak, we did it, lifetime deal and then what if I say like hey next year let's climb it again and another guy that I talked to built off he heard the Everest analogy and he said when I look at the Warriors I think of it this way it's not just hey let's climb Everest and then the next time we we're like let's climb Everest in less days meaning the 73 wins because this year it feels like the Warriors are like let's climb Everest but let's do it in 20 days let's take our time we know the goal is to get to the top we don't we're, we've already done it before we've already broken the speed record Let's just take our time. Um, I think what Daryl has done with Houston is absolutely incredible. I talked to a team that's at the bottom, kind of in that in, out of the playoffs in the West thing, and the dude I was talking to was just like, this is so frustrating. Like, everybody gets mad at all the players of freaking out. Like, again, I don't know that Lillard's freak out was as bad. When it first came out, Lillard wants an owner meeting with Paul Allen and all that stuff. It's like, oh, no, Lillard's going to want to trade, and then everybody starts stacking up all their trade assets for the next disgruntled NBA star. But I'm talking to this team and, and he goes, you know, all the players get all this heat because they tweet out their frustrations. Or they have these team meetings or how am I going to fit in? Or where's my championship? Like this sucks. This sucks in 2018 to, to like I'm five, six years in and 
I don't think I'm ever going to win one. Imagine having that feeling like you'd never really want to admit it. But I think that's where this anxiety comes from that I was kind of talking about at the beginning of this this whole stretch here. But he goes, a lot of GMs still feel the same way. You know, and the guy I talked to is like, we're, we're an okay team. And we're going to get the, we're going to get our bleep handed to us. <laughs> yeah, but it doesn't mean that we need to close up shop and trade everybody and, and call it a day. Yeah, but it's okay. So every day you're on the phone and you're a GM and you're a team that could be facing Houston and Golden State in the first round. And we could all do the rah, rah, competitive, never, but there's also a lot of smart guys here that go, all right, well, you know, um, you want to, you know, if you try to make a trade, all right, what do you want to trade? All right, is there anyone we can trade that even makes it competitive? No. Yeah, okay. It's frustrating. A lot of the league is really frustrated about this. So, there you go. Okay, we need to vote. Please subscribe and then do your thing. Unsubscribe. If you mistakenly unsubscribe, subscribe again. We'll keep up the reviews. They were great. We'll use those. I was packed today. I still had three other segments written out. We couldn't do it because Barkley went 40 minutes. There were a lot of Wilco-style reviews. They were unbelievable. I know. I did read a few. So we're going to keep doing the gear thing for reviews um, and the the whole deal, rating rating the podcast. Again, I want to thank everybody. It blew me away last week. I was so happy for all of us, all of us, not just Rudy and I, but all of us that uh, like this stuff. And let me know, do you want life updates? Because next week was supposed to be my last week in the East Coast, and it may get pushed back a couple weeks. It's not because of credit trouble. Credit's fine now. Uh, do you want those? And then, I don't know. I feel bad that I started not with the Kawhi and all this other thing, but I just had to get that plane thing off my chest. Because I know that there's a 49% chance I was still the bad guy in that exchange. It's 1230. Yeah, and then the hardo behind you who's who's trying to like you know win free airline miles because he's being nice. Like that guy, that guy sucks. Let's be honest. He sucks, and he kind of. But the thing is, I would have had more respect for him if he had said something to me at baggage claim, because then we both just sort of looked at each other, and I didn't know. It wasn't like I want to fight anybody, but if he had said, "Hey, you know what? Like those guys are pilots or whatever," I would have said, "You know what? I agree with you, and you're right." But I'm fighting this fight of getting pilots to tell the truth. I just, hey, if it's going to be two hours, tell me. Just tell me it's going to be two hours. What's, what's going to, what are the, don't, like, that's just the way I am in life. Don't tell me the bad news in increments. <laughs> because we can't handle the truth. Yeah, just, I, exactly. That's my whole politician theory. Okay, the great Charles Barkley on everything. I don't even know how to tease that. So are we breaking it up into two or they're just going to hear it right now? Into two. Stay after the break. All right. So after this read, Barkley's going to talk about LeBron, Moses Malone, being fat, being lazy and fat, being fat and lazy, gambling, losing a million dollars at the blackjack table, who he'd rather play with for the top six players in the NBA, why Phoenix lied to him when they traded him. This is insane. It's just off the top of my head what we did with him. Uh, you guys know I was pumped. Uh, it was either going to be he or Van Pelt as my first guest, and Charles is a little busier than Van Pelt is, so the great Charles Barkley on podcast number two. What's up, my man? Man, I'm doing good. And, I, you know, I text Van Pelt every week for bad beats. <laughs> Why? do you, get, you offer him up, right? Well, you know, I, I love watching that because, you know, clearly I love to gamble. And I was telling him, you know, because one minute I was jumping for joy on that Vikings game 
uh, against the Saints. And then when they came back out to kick, kick the extra point, I thought I was going to have a heart attack. Now, that was a bad beat either way. Like, if they kicked the extra point, they get me. When they didn't kick the extra point, they screwed a lot of people. That's a bad beat. Now, do people ask you for advice, or are you just over the years, like, do people think that, that you're not good at this? Well, it's a fluid situation. I mean, you know, when I <laughs> – I mean, it's very fluid. I mean, a team has to play well. Uh, I love it, though. I mean, football is the ultimate gambling sport. And I look forward to it every Sunday. Uh, I study the games all week. And it's still a crapshoot. I mean, because you don't know who's going to play well. Uh, I mean, that, that's the beauty of it. And, it. and the thing that I hate about it the most is the team that's supposed to win, win, but they never cover, which pisses you off even more. Yeah, when I was younger and didn't know as much as I know now, I was better at it. And that's, you know, when I have friends that still gamble all the time and they'll ask me, I just go, look, I'm not, I'm not that great at it. You know, I'm, I'm basically a 50 50 shot every year on this, on the show when we did it. Nobody's all the time. a great gambler. Anybody tell you they're a great gambler is full of crap. Yeah. I mean, I, it's a flu. It's, it's, a, it's always up and down. Like when I go to Vegas, I go to Vegas a lot. I play blackjack. Some weekends they get you, some weekends you get them. But there's no, person i mean if people tell you like uh they're professional gamblers uh, i'd like to see them in like five to ten to seven years see how that's working out for them what's have you ever had a night so bad at the tables that you actually were depressed about it well i'm always depressed when i lose uh that i mean it's There's just not a me number because <laughs> oh well yeah i've lost a million dollars many times i've won a million a few times but i've lost a million more and you just, it just sucks because you lost. You know, what I did was a few years ago, I took like two years off from gambling because I was getting out of hand. And uh, and my friend said, gambling's not your problem. The problem is you're an idiot. <laughs> and I was like, well, explain to me because my friends have an op. They have to be honest with me. They's like, they're like, Joe, you understand, you're up six, $700,000 and we tell you, hey, let's quit. And it's just you having a great night, but you keep trying to get. Like what happened was I told you I won a million dollars several times, and I always wanted to get to that million dollar plateau. And I've lost a million more. I want to make that clear. But what I do now is, hey, I go in there, just have some fun. You win some, you lose some, and it's a lot better for me going to Vegas now than it was five years ago. So you're 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 more in control of it now than you were before. Yes, definitely way more in control because you know when you like I say when you lose a lot of money it doesn't change your life, uh, but when you win a lot of money it doesn't change your life either. So you have to like, hey man, just go gamble, have fun, and it's a it's a lot more fun. First of all, I'm not as miserable when I lose because uh, I lose one third of what I used to lose, but when I win, it's not like. Oh my God! I can. It doesn't change my life at all. I had heard a story, and I don't know if you would, and how this works is that, like when you would get together with with other celebrities and you play cards, and there'd be guys that were just regular guys, but they'd be big money guys, and they would want to play with you and like maybe some other legends. I don't want to throw anybody else's name in here unless you want to. You know what I mean? But where yeah. it was just kind of understood that even if you guys lost, like you and maybe some other legend lost. And it was kind of this private game that 
you weren't going to end up having to maybe pay what you were supposed to because the whole point was to hang out with you guys for an entire night. Is that no? You always pay. No, that that that's one well, percent. That's one percent okay. not true. These guys are too competitive. You know, like me, Michael Scott, and, and Magic. We played cards every single night during the Dream Team. Every single night, uh, we would go to Magic's room and play. But we always paid. Uh, and, and like we, I meant like, like not. I meant not like you and Scotty or any of those guys. I meant like if no, outsiders. I'm we, we play with regular people, but they gotta pay, man. <laughs> no, I would know they'd have to pay. I guess I don't know. And look, it's you know how this stuff works out. It's just you end up hearing these stories, and somebody's like, "Oh yeah, none of those guys end up having to pay." And I'm like, "Really?" So well, first I, of all, that's 100 percent not true. Well, I'm glad that's 100 percent not true. First of all, you have to pay. It's probably not good for your health if you not pay. <laughs> yeah, even if you're Charles. Um, yes. I think that you're in a in a weird spot, um, and you know that I've always talked about how much you know. Look, I, you know, I don't. I'm never going to stop saying it because I mean it. That you're always my hero as an athlete. You know, I just love that you were great and that you were a tough guy, but you were also outspoken. You didn't put up with anybody's crap, and that's what's made you a great commentator. But I think it's funny, like when the LeBron vote thing came up, and you just said flat out, like, "Hey, some of the other players don't like him. They think he's a drama queen." that it then kind of put you on the spot to defend that position when I don't think it's that hard to figure out that, yeah, there's other players as great as LeBron is that are going to be jealous and maybe don't like his deal all the time. Do you find yourself, like, do current players not like you because you are so ready to criticize or maybe be more outspoken and sometimes honest as opposed to other analysts? Well, I think, uh, yeah, I've gotten phone calls from players, agents, and I explain my situation. If you go back and look at the, I was asked a particular question because uh, LeBron won the fan vote, he won the media vote, and Ernie asked me specific questions, and I said I, I can understand why some of the players didn't vote for him. Or they get tired of all the drama that's around him all the time. What city is he gonna play in? You go back to the decision, uh, these uh, the, some of the stuff that he says. Well, you know, he's trying to control the narrative. That was a particular question. Uh, yeah, there's some players, and it has nothing to do with jealousy. You know, I hear, like, I love all these guys trying to explain what I meant to say uh, and stuff. I said, dude, I said what I wanted to say. Some of these players, they're like, yo, now we're going to have to wait all next year. Uh, where's LeBron going to play? I yeah. think players resent that. That's the reason he didn't win the player vote. They get sick of some of the stuff that goes on. So when I look at LeBron, and I've done this list before, where if you look at the 10 best players in the league today, and I feel like you can kind of come up with a strong eight and then maybe nine to 20. Like we shouldn't just call it top 10. We should call it kind of tier one or then tier two or whatever. But a lot of these guys are changing teams, and they're changing teams in ways that I don't think we've ever seen before. It's unprecedented because I think people are upset. People are chasing the Warriors and are doing all these different things. Do you find yourself just not liking all of the pettiness and all the drama of today's game, what actually makes it great to talk about for guys like me. It makes it great to talk about, but it makes it boring for myself and the fans. I mean, you know, when when LeBron, who was was really funny, and Draymond said it, uh, he was mad at Kevin because Kevin went to Golden State and now they can't beat him, but he started the whole super team thing. And, you know, it came back to bite him. When he controlled a narrative, when he went to Miami and got his buddies to play with him, and they was dominating, it was great. And now the other players are like, wait, Kevin did it, and so now we don't have any competitive balance. 
you know, the way things are going, we're going to have like two or three good teams. And I, I've said it. I didn't say it just now. I've said it like three years ago. This team's going to come back and bite the NBA in the behind in a few years because uh, if LeBron leaves Cleveland again, at some point the fans are going to say, wait a minute, these guys are making $30, $40 million a year. They have no loyalty to us, and my team is no good because all these guys want to be buddies. I think in the long run it's going to hurt the NBA. All right, so you think it'll hurt the NBA and that people are just going to feel like they have no chance, like less of a chance than ever before. Is that what you're saying? Well, they're going to feel like these guys have no loyalty. You know, if, if you look at uh, – there's a couple things that happened in the last few days. You're like, they're already talking about Giannis Antetokounmpo. Uh, probably like, okay, well, they, they got mad because they fired Jason Kidd. Well, he's probably going to leave. Uh, you see Dame Lillard wants to meet with the owner. You know, at some point the fans are going to say, wait a minute, you guys can't make – $40 million a year and have no loyalty loyalty to us whatsoever. And we're going to have one or two good teams. I mean, the fans, you know, they're important and significant. Now, I understand these guys, uh, like, I, I don't know why they all want to play together. That's really weird and really unfortunate, number one. But at some point, there's going to be a fan black backlash. I, I truly believe that. And I said it three or four years ago. I says we somebody's got to have some loyalty to the fans. I mean, when and, and LeBron, you know, he wrote that great note about going back to Northeast Ohio. I t- I've said that was one of the coolest things that ever happened to me. I don't care how many championships he won in Miami; they wouldn't be the same as winning them in Cleveland. Uh, and when Kevin left Oklahoma, that broke those people's hearts. And if these guys keep doing that, at some point, these fans are gonna say, "Screw you guys! Y'all ain't got no loyalty to us." Y'all can have one or two good teams, but we're not going to be watching, and we're not going to be coming to the games. I I truly believe that's going to happen. Were you surprised about the Kawhi stuff? You know, it's so funny you say that because I said something on our show like two weeks ago, not about the relationship. I said, man, I said, uh, we need to go ahead and get to this Warriors-Rockets Western Conference Finals and Ernest says, well, what about the Spurs? I said, or there's something going on with Kawhi Leonard's leg. His leg should have been healed by now. I said, I'm really concerned. And then, like, the next week, all this stuff comes out. Because I was like, something's going on right here. He's playing, not playing back-to-back. Now he's not playing at all. I said, something's going on down there. I didn't know what was going on with the relationship. Uh so it's uh. So you it's, were it's you tough. were on it early, yeah, right. So because when it came out, people wanted to be like, "Well, what's the real substance here?" But I had heard something on Friday that was weird, which I talked about earlier in the podcast, and that Kawhi has always been like he was always the guy that didn't care about any of this stuff, right? He was the next Tim Duncan, and then you start hearing stuff like the people around him more involved, wanting to, wanting more out of it, and you go, "Wait a minute!" So wait a minute, like, were they going to get a Spurs guy that actually isn't a Spurs guy? Because we're just not used to seeing that. Yeah, and like I say, uh, now if if Kawhi gets in this thing and he leaves San Antonio, that's going to be like wow. Even the Spurs, the best organization in the NBA, you know they can't uh, they can't even control the players like they used to. So then then, then that's like I said, that to me is just going to be more more blowback on the NBA at some point. Who would you rather play with? Then I'm going to go with the top maybe six guys in the league. Um, I'll rank them. I'm rank them with you here would you rather play with lebron over everybody else despite some of the complaints that you've had about just the personality stuff 
I think LeBron James is arguably the greatest story uh, in sports history. What I mean by that, Ryan, is for a 18-year-old kid, and let's get one thing straight. I've been in the NBA since 1984. Kobe, Kobe Bryant was amazing, but he was not ready for the NBA. He, people forget that. Kevin Garnett, amazing, but was not ready when he first got to the NBA. LeBron is the only guy I've ever seen who the day he came into the NBA as 18-year-old who was ready. And for him to be the one of, uh, in my, on my list, he's just, uh, the seventh greatest player ever. For him to, from 18 years old, never been close to being in trouble, never been close to being in trouble, and what he's accomplished as a player, I think it's arguably the greatest story in sports history. For an 18-year-old kid to be, number one, that good from day one, and all these years later, I become one of the seven, seven, uh, seven greatest players on my list of all time. I think it's just an amazing story. Yeah, it was sick, because I remember that first night, and we were all so excited, anybody of us that were basketball fans, and you're watching him going, holy, like this is going to work. It's like he looked comfortable, and you're right about the Kobe thing because the Kobe thing early was just a flash here or a flash there of this insane athleticism, but it wasn't like yeah, it was like, uh, like I say, uh, Kobe, Kevin, guys who are all time players, like they struggle uh, in the beginning. But LeBron, uh, we because uh, I we broadcast like the first night, and he's like, I said, oh man, this dude's pretty good. And like I say, all these years later, he's never come close to getting into trouble. He's a wonderful guy. I mean, he, you know, he's a, he's the control guy. He controls every narrative around him, but he's really uh, a, an amazing man. He's done some great stuff off the court. Okay, so would you rather play, if you put LeBron one, would you rather play with Durant or Steph? Wow, that's a great question. I mean, you can't really lose on that one. You, you know... I, I'd probably rather play with Steph because Kevin, you know, you know, Kevin is kind of going toward the, the he's kind of changed his entire personality the he's last mad at couple of years. Yeah. He's mad at the world. Like he had to understand there was going to be some backlash with him leaving Oklahoma city. And he used to be the nicest kid in the world, but now he's mad at the world. And, you know, all these ejections and technicals. I used to say to people, man, this kid is really nice. <laughs> and for some reason, when people turned on him for leaving Oklahoma City, it has completely changed his personality. So I'd probably rather play with Steph because Steph has never had any drama. You know, he's like, Kevin's coming. That's great. We're going to have better players. I'm glad to play with him. Uh, even though I'm a two-time MVP, yeah, nothing, nothing, get nothing. So I'd probably rather play with Steph for that reason. Okay, so then would you put and just you know check me in, in case I go out of order here? Is it safe to assume you'd rather play with Steph, LeBron, and Durant over Westbrook? Yes. Okay. Would you rather play with Westbrook or Harden? Harden, because what Mike D'Antoni has done uh, with James Harden. What he did with Steve Nash and and, uh, and James's Steve Nash on steroids is amazing. Because you remember, think about this: three years ago, James Harden was a ball hogging guy. 
Yeah, we made fun of him all the time. We were like, yeah, whatever. Everybody yeah. made fun of him. He just dribbled a shot clock for 22 seconds and shot a step back. That would be no fun to play with. And he's changed his game 100%. I mean, it's been one of the great turnarounds I've ever seen a guy go from from A to Z in such a short period of time. Because from the first moment he stepped on the court with um, – with with Mike D'Antoni, he's totally changed. And the thing that you you know you asked me about Russ, I love everything about Russell Westbrook. The one thing about him is, when you're a great player, you can score or get a shot every single time. The key for you is to manage how to make get the other guys invo- involved to make your life easier. And he hasn't figured that out yet. Like, he has a physical advantage on every player he plays against. And sometimes he could, like this time, I'll give you an example. Like this time, okay, I'm making this move to get the ball to Mike Jeminski, who I played with. I'm making this move to get the ball to Dan Marley. Even though I could get a shot, it might even be a bad shot. But sometimes you have to be thinking ahead and say, okay, this guy's going to come toward me. I'm going to get Dan Marley a wide open three or Kevin Johnson or Sed Sabalos. But Russ, he goes 100 miles an hour all the time. If he could come back and go about, you know, I'll give you an example. You know, I play golf with a lot of pros. And we are, uh, we always, and I, and I like, uh, listen, I suck at golf, number one, so don't say it. I didn't, I wasn't adding anything to it. I'm just hanging out. I'm not sensitive. <laughs> but the one thing I ask them, I said, how hard are you going at your driver? They're like, oh, about 75%. And I'm like, really? And they never go, they says, I'll probably go at my driver 100% one out of 20 swings. Most of the time they say they're going 75 percent somewhere in there and if Russ could dial it back and go about 75 percent most of the time he'd be surprised how much easier the game would be for him yeah but he hasn't figured that on out yet and I I struggle with it all the time just as I watch him and I watch him so much and I think last year he became everybody's hero because he was the anti-Durant and the team wasn't very good around him and he has a but they could double. be better they, they, they could. could be better. I just I think he kind of got like this grace period of last year, Chuck, where we just all loved him. The media loved him because Durant was the evil guy now. And everything about Russ is great. But what I couldn't imagine is playing with him all the time. If I were a star, like if I were a guy like you or some of these other stars in the league, where you go, man, I know he has that physical advantage. I think he's the greatest athlete I've, I've seen in the game today. But it's just really tough. And you can see how frustrated other guys get. And I worry like, if you were a GM – you may say, obviously, all of us would take a Russell Westbrook, but damn, it might be frustrating the whole time, and this might be like the ceiling. The ceiling might be lower because he just refuses to kind of play with the other guys around him at times, even though the assist numbers are through the roof. It's different. Like When he drives hard and then abandons the drive and hands it off to somebody and that becomes the assist, that's a different assist than a Nash assist or an assist where you decide to get other guys involved. No question. Um, you know, Kenny, who's a point guard, who's a pure point guard, we talk about it all the time. You know, just because you get numbers, that doesn't mean they're effective numbers. Uh, you, like, it, it, you have a great point. Like, I wish – I don't know if he can change at this point of his career. I think he can, man. I, I think he's kind of like 
he's not Iverson, but he's Iverson in a way that you are absolutely hostage to his style of play, and the other four guys hey, have to figure hey, it out. That's a great point. That's a hundred percent great point. As much as I love AI, it, 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 like at one point you're like, man, I'm just not going to get this ball a lot. <laughs> uh, I want to ask you. I want to get a good Moses story from you because you know that Moses was one of my all-time favorites, and I do want to. Because I think everybody always brings this up because they go, well, wait a minute. Chuck's calling out guys for wanting to play, and he's the guy that you know forced his way out, and he went out to Phoenix. Before we ask you the Phoenix first question. First of all, let me just say one thing. Phoenix Number thing. one. Go ahead. The, first of all, that's not true. The, 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 the son, excuse me, the 76ers traded me. I never forced my way uh, out of Philly. Uh, so Yeah, but you know the, that the, I'm bringing that up as people always say that about you. I, I remember it because I was, I was heartbroken at the time that you got yeah. traded, but – what happened there? You didn't you didn't want to get out. Well, first of all, I probably if I wanted to get out, I would have got out two to three years sooner. But I was trying to win and we just weren't any good. Uh so no, I didn't force my way out of Philly. That's not true at all. But I was glad when they traded me because I was under so much stress there because we weren't very good. I was getting the blame. And uh, but no, I didn't force my way out of Philly. That that's a misnomer. Okay, but you know that I'm just saying that people have brought that up when you're. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's always laugh. Hey Ryan, let me tell you something. I ain't did half the crap they said I did. What's the biggest lie about you ever told? Oh, um, that I forced my way out of Phoenix is actually a bigger lie. Okay. Uh, You know, because I never wanted to leave uh, Phoenix. I remember sitting home after we had lost, and I get a call Bulls? from the Rockets. Oh, no. You're talking a couple of years after the, the finals lost then. Yeah, we lost to the Rockets like, two years after in seven-game series. Yeah, you were up 2-0. Were you up 2-0 in that series? Uh, uh, 2-0, yeah. But we lost to, to the champs three years in a row in seven-game series. The Bulls six and the Rockets. When we admit, Us and the Rockets were the two best teams in the league. And we lost to them in seven game series, so uh, that was that was great though. Because I, not that we lost, but all I wanted was a chance to win. When they gave me Marley and said Sabalos and uh, Kevin Justin got, hey, all I wanted was a chance was to compete, and I got a chance to compete, and we lost. So we, so that's my first three years in Phoenix, and my fourth year we lose. They trade Dan Marley, and the team kind of goes to hell a little bit. So I'm sitting at home one day, and I get a call from the Rockets. They're like Charles. I'm like, hey, what's up? And because uh, I had known them, known those guys. I mean, you play to a team two years in a row in seven game series, you get to know everybody. Right, players on the team called you or the front office? No, this was a, uh, a, one of the guys in the front office. So that was tampering then. Man, everybody tampers. <laughs> Stop it. Everybody I, I think, tampers. I think we're okay. Twenty five years later, I'm just you know. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Right. Uh, trust me, everybody tampers. I remember, remember Joe Smith got uh, yeah. screwed in Minnesota. They signed him to a fake contract, but they actually made it on paper, and that's yeah. why they lost. They lost five first rounders, and I think they gave one back. So they lost. Four. Yeah, I mean, man, oh, tampering always has went on because everybody knows everybody. Well, okay, so the season's over, and I get a call from the Rockets. They're like, Charles, if we trade for you, um, you you're not going to hold out for a new contract. I said, dude, what the hell are you talking about? He said, the Rockets, uh, the Suns call about trading you. I said. They're not going to trade me. I'm the only player we got can play. Yeah, you were on 32, right? Uh, no, 36. No, 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 no. Oh, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. Uh, when you got traded from there? No, 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 no. Uh, 
When you got traded to from Phoenix to Houston, you were what, 32-33, right? No, I got traded to Phoenix when I was 32. Uh really? See, I stayed in college for 3 years. Hmm, this is really weird cuz it's coming up. Um I'll double check this here. I'm sorry. No, I I went to Phoenix in, <laughs> in 92. You how old you are? Uh yeah, 92. Yeah, on the website it says the how, how old were you as a rookie? Uh 21, 22. Right. 21. On the website here, yeah, so 91, 92, your last year with Philly, you were 28. With Phoenix, you were 29. That's what it says here. Okay, my MVP. bad. I'm getting, I'm getting the years confused. <laughs> well, so, and I said, they're not trying to trade me. And I'm like, I said, hold on for a second. I said, so I called the Suns. I said, hey, are y'all trying to trade me? They're like, Charles, what are you talking about? We're never not trying to trade you. I said, okay. So I called the Rockets back. I said, man, I just talked to the uh, the Suns. They said they're not trying to t- trade me. And I, he says, Charles, we're friends, right? I says, uh, yeah, of course we're friends. He says, Charles, they're trying to trade you. They just told you a bold-faced lie. He says, we want to trade for you. We want to make sure you're not going to hold out. I says, go ahead, man, make the deal. I won't hold out. I've never held out, and I never will. And then I got traded. That's how quick it was. What did the What did the guy who from Phoenix lie to you? <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to throw the guy under the bus because he's very powerful in Arizona. <laughs> was it John McCain? Um, no, I'm I'm kidding. No, this guy's more powerful than John McCain. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this. But you I, know, it pissed me off. I know. Really who, I can figure it, it out. Yeah. Uh, it really. It, it really bothered me because I never wanted to leave leave Phoenix because I loved playing in Phoenix. The fans were amazing. I still live there today, uh, but uh, I, that was so disrespectful. They had ruined the team after they traded Dan Marley, and uh, they could have just said, "Hey, Charles, you're the only asset we got. We're gonna trade you." That would, but just don't lie to me to my face. That pissed me off. You want to hear a funny? Are you a country music fan at all? I forget. I am. All right, you know Dirk Bentley then, right? I do. He's he's from Phoenix. He's from Phoenix. So we went to college together uh, my freshman year in Vermont, and we were both sitting in a bar freezing our asses off watching you guys lose that Houston series because I was rooting for you, and he clearly was rooting for the Suns because he's from Phoenix. And we sat there screaming at the television. I think it was Mario hit another big three, and we're like, God. I yeah, he, we, hit three, right? he hit the three to end the, end the game that beat us by one. He's a nice guy. I got to meet him. Uh, I went to a Nashville Predators playoff game last year. Because uh, I become uh, friends with uh, PK Subin, and I went down to a game, and he walks up to me. He say, hey, "I want to introduce myself." I said, "Dude, I live in Phoenix. I know exactly who you are." Uh, he's a very nice man and very talented. Yeah, he is. Okay, all right. So I, before I let, oh, but you let go, me tell you, let me tell go. you my favorite Mo- Moses story. You can t- you can take forever because this is what I wanted to get to. All right, go for it. So you know, I wasn't. You know, most people don't know this. I, I played at three hundred pounds in college. Were you three hundred five when you got to camp? Oh, uh, I was about two ninety five when I got to camp. <laughs> How? Oh, I you... tell you, I, no, hey, no, I got to tell you my funniest story. So the Sixers wants to draft me, but they're worried about my weight. So they fly me up a month before the draft, and the owner of the Sixers named Harold Katz. It's a true story. He said, Charles, everybody on our, in our front office want to draft you, but they're concerned that you're about your weight. And I says, 
I don't. You don't have to worry about my weight. I've been in. I'm. A, I'm in good shape. I probably need to get in better shape. Blah 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 blah. He said, "Well, I'm gonna put it you on the test." He says, "Get on the scale." I weigh two ninety eight. He says, "It's a month before the draft. I want you to get to two eighty five." So I go down to Texas with my agent, who's a <laughs> stole all my money. I don't want to miss his name. Lance Lushnick is his name. Um, so we go down to Texas. I work out like a crazy man for a month. And then uh, a day, two days before, I got a, I got a stop in Philly on my way to New York for the draft. And at this point, I weigh about 282. And my agent says, you know now, the way the salary cap works, you can only get a one-year deal for $75,000 because the Sixers are over the salary cap. Because back then, they had a hard salary cap. That's crazy. So I said, dude, I didn't leave college for $75,000. He says, well, these are the rules. You got to hope the Sixers don't draft you. I said, what can I do to have the Sixers not draft me? He says, you weigh 282. He told you, you went, when we were up there, he said, get to 285. You weigh 282 now. He said, well, I don't want the Sixers to draft me. So we went on a 48-hour bender to Denny's. We went to Denny's for two days. I ate as many pancakes as I could get in my mouth for breakfast, for lunch. We went to like a, a cafeteria buffet. At night, we went to a big steakhouse. We did that 48 hours straight. So we fly to Philly. I get on the scale, and I weigh 302. <laughs> and the owner of the Sixers calls me every name in the book. And I'm trying to laugh, kind of laughing inside. I'm like, dude, dude, don't draft me. But I was trying to be professional. And when they call with the fifth pick in the draft, the Philadelphia 76ers take Charles Barkley, I thought I was going to die. I thought I was in trouble. <laughs> I was like, holy crap. I left college for $75,000. Okay. So they draft me, and I got in a little bit of shape before I got back to school. I uh, about two ninety five. So now I'm not. This brings with Moses. Why Moses is the most important person in my basketball career. So I'm not playing much early in my rookie year. I'm not in good shape, a good enough shape to play in the NBA. I could get get by three hundred pounds in college because you know the three years I was in college, I led the SEC in rebounding every year. But you know. Uh, you're not going to get to play in the NBA. Right, and just to remind people, too, like this team is off a championship two years ago. They had gotten a pick from the Clippers, and so to even be able to draft you with guys like Moses and Dr. J and Bobby and Cheeks and Tony, like it was a stacked team to have somebody like you. So that's that's just, I think, for younger listeners, they need to understand that's a bigger reason why you would have been playing, too, correct? Well, I still should have been playing because they had a guy named Sam Williams, who was a good player. Mark Alvaroni was the starting power forward, so I was betting those guys, but I just wasn't in good shape. So one night, I talked to Moses after practice. Moses, can I come up here? Because we lived actually in the same building, and that's why I call him dad 
to this day, God rest his soul. I said, Dad, can I come see you tonight? He said, sure. So I go up there. I said, Big Mo, why am I not getting to play? He says, oh, young fellow, you fat and you lazy. I says, what do you mean? He says, you fat and you lazy. He said, but in fairness, you only lazy because you fat. And he says, Charles, you can't play NBA basketball at 295 pounds. And he says, Charles, you got so much talent, but you're never going to get it until you lose weight. And he says, I'm going to be truthful with you. If you want me to help you lose weight, I will, but you've got to do everything I say. And I says, he says, what do we need to do? He says, that's enough for the night. He says, meet me in the gym in the morning. And this guy met me every morning. Got, 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 he says, let's do it. He says, don't look at the big picture. Look at the smaller picture. He said, I need you to lose 10 pounds. So I get to 285. Okay, things are starting to get better. I get to 275. Now I'm starting to get to play. And then... Uh, then I get to 265. Now I'm really starting to get to play a little bit. And I get to 255, and now I'm starting to start. And this guy who was already one of the greatest ever is meeting me every day working on me. We actually got to 245, but I, I didn't have any energy or strength at 245, so I played my whole career at 255. And, man, Moses was so instrumental I mean, you're talking about guy who had already been several times MVP, won the world championship on the backside of his career, uh, meeting me before practice, after practice, to make me lose 50 pounds. And, uh, you know, one of the uh, toughest things I've ever had to done, he was so close to me, his family asked me to, to, to do the eulogy at his funeral. And I was telling that story. Uh, I just love the guy. I miss the guy. And, you know, I did get one last chance to tell him how much I love and appreciate him because the way he died was uh, on a, the, the Friday night before was the Hall of Fame weekend. And we were sitting down talking, and I just got to tell him. Because every time I said, tell him, saw him, I said, man, I just can never thank you enough for helping me. And, you know, Big Mo, he's one of those guys don't talk a lot, but when he speaks, it's like E.F. Hudden. And then I actually had to shoot a commercial that he was going to Virginia to play in his golf tournament. So that morning, I left Philadelphia at 6 in the morning because I live in Philly during the summer. When I land in L.A., I have 125 new messages. And I said, oh, man, something's wrong. Something's really wrong. And they say, and everybody's like, how you doing, man? I'm really so sorry to hear the news. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? And then I finally got to a text, and it was everybody checking on me because I was devastated when Moses passed away, man. Because uh, that was tough because he was, you know, and not, uh, he was just the best. And let me tell you something, Dr. J, Andrew Tony, Maurice Cheeks, Bobby Jones, Clement Johnson, Clint Richardson, Caldwell Jones. I mean, it, it, you know, and, and see, Ryan, one of the things that I hate about the NBA today Man, those guys, they always wanted to help me. And I never looked at it as criticism. They wanted to make me a better person and a better player. Like these young guys today, anytime we say anything about them, they think we're hating on them. Nobody's trying to hate on them. We ain't jealous of them at all. Older people 
older peers are supposed to help younger peers. It has nothing to do with somebody hating on you or jealous of you. But I wish some of these young guys today would take advantage of and listen to some of us older guys because, hey, y'all make more money, but it, 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 y'all just got more crap to deal with with social media and things like that. But we ain't got nothing against these young guys, but we can criticize them. That's fair. Excuse yeah, and me. you know what? That's that's why the show works, and that's why I, even when I disagree with you about stuff, I want to listen to you because I feel like there's so many guys that do it now that just want to be buddies with everybody. And Oh, my I, God. I, I, just, I, I get so sick of watching. And, I, listen, I, I love watching, watching. I'm watching the game, and I'm going to watch the highlights and everything. But these young generation of reporters are such punks. Like, dude, your job is not to have this guy like you. You can criticize a guy and not go go crazy. Like I said, you know, when LeBron went crazy on me last year, talking about my gambling and all the stuff, I yeah. don't like, dude, that's personal. I've already told people, you're the seventh greatest basketball player I've ever seen. I think you're one of the most amazing men I've ever met. But my criticism of you was fair. You can't always have all the good players. You got Kyrie, you got Kevin Love, like you got Jr. You got Trumpston. I said you want all the best players all the time. And like my criticism was fair, and he got all personal. But I didn't. I didn't go back at him. But we can criticize guys if it's fair. Like I don't do the Skip Bayless thing. Because, uh, you know, most people know I, I cannot stand Skip Bayless because when you deliberately just try to attack uh, a Tiger, a LeBron, or an Aaron Rodgers like he always does. Well, he don't, to, we don't like each other, which I know shocks you. Uh, no, dude, I don't think anybody likes somebody. No, but he made it personal I, with me. I, I he, got me no with he got me banned from the show. He got me banned from the TV show. I'm, I have no problem with people disagreeing. But when you deliberately say stuff that you know is not true because you can get these people trolling in – because you can always find somebody who don't like LeBron. I love the guy and respect the guy. Yeah. But when you deliberately go at guys because you want to have a contrary opinion, that's what I don't like. And that's what Skip Bayless does. It's clear that he hates LeBron. It's clear that he hates Aaron Rodgers. It's clear that he hates Tiger. And, yeah, there's some people who might agree, but you don't deliberately do that because people believe what you say when you're on television or on radio. So you have a moral obligation to be fair and to be honest. Yeah, that's the thing. And I don't want to turn it into a, a massive thing because I know you got to go here and, and talk about him a ton. But it just, like when I say something and you disagree, that's fine. We can be big boys about it. But if I'm saying stuff that's just stupid all the time to stay in one lane consistently, and like no matter what happens, like if I were to sit there and, you know, Noah built the ark, and then I went on TV the next day saying that, you know, it didn't, didn't get great gas mileage. You know, you just, you can't get mad at everybody. Like, if that's if that's getting you paid, if that's getting you the checks every two weeks, and life is good and you're successful, then good for you. But you can't also then get mad at people calling you out for being the dude who's clearly just saying stuff to get attention every day. It, thank you very much. That's my and that's all there. he does. And he's making a great living. Yeah. But... I see. I take my job very serious because there's somebody in Montana, South Dakota, North Dakota, Maine. They're never going to meet these guys. We have an obligation to tell the truth. And when they're great, I tell them they're great. You know what? And I, and I tell people all the time, these guys never call me when I tell them they're great, Ryan. <laughs> 
Like, I, you know, it's amazing. You can say nine great things out of ten about a player, and they call you like, yo, man, why are you hating on me? I'm like, dude, I, I just said nine great things about you. But these guys today are so sensitive. Uh, I mean, it's, it's crazy how sensitive, sensitive they are. Yeah, you think you've, when you get ripped on all the time publicly, it would make you tougher. But I think that's part of it. I think that's part of why you're seeing the players go so crazy lately and get out. Well, of but the you, refs. but listen, you have to be able to say, "Wait a minute, let me step back for a second. Does the person have a point? You yeah, know, that's, tough. that's what the first. That's the first thing you should ask yourself. That's the one thing Doctor J and most of the guys used to always tell me. If somebody criticizes you before you react. You can get mad, no question. But before you react, the first thing you ask yourself is: it, is it a fair criticism? And I don't think these guys today ever do that. They're like, "Oh, Charles or Ryan or Scott Van Pelt or Dan Patrick. Uh, you know, they said something bad about me. They just hating on me." I'm like, "Wait, what did I say before you assume that?" You know, I'm hating on you. Is there any validity or truth to what I said? And I don't think they ever take the time to uh, to value that or take a look at it. Yeah, it's just it's very hard. And I know there's times I've had you know people be critical of me at work, and you go, "What if he's right?" You know, and I've been in the car and I'm driving home by myself, and I go. And what if he's right? But when you're by yourself all the time, you don't have people to tell you how great you are. Uh, look, you're the best. You know how much I, I appreciate this. And I know we went long for your busy uh, time out there. But let's do it again at some point. All right, my man? Hey, my brother. You know, I got love and respect for you. Anytime you need me, just let me know. 